May the fourth be with you, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Baby Yoda, but before we do that, Buddy, I want you to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we refuse to name it something more general than some Derps Talk About Games, as we talk about <laughs> on TV show for, like, the third week straight. I guess last week we did do a game episode. Uh, <laughs> um... So, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about The Mandalorian, which came out a long time ago, and neither Mango and I watched, like, co- uh, consecutively, what would we call that, concurrently with, like, the rest of the zeitgeist, so, you know, we got there eventually, six months later. Yeah, we decided to take the opportunity of the podcast release supposing to coincide with uh, the semi-official Star Wars Day, May the mm-hmm. 4th be with you, um, and it's uh, Mandalorian short. Among its many other qualities, it's eight episodes, and most of them are, like, between half hour and 40 minutes. So, you know, it's not a hard watch. Um, so, yeah, before we get to spoilers, buddy, what are your general thoughts? Uh, my general thoughts are that this is a, a pretty good show that is a uh, a great contrast, I guess I'll call it, to the rest of what we have been seeing from Star Wars recently. Uh, to be clear, I have not seen the Star Wars Rebels series, nor have I seen uh, the most recent season of Clone Wars, uh, which are kind of the only other two um, kind of Star Wars adjacent properties uh, that aren't movies. But that, yeah, that are, but like, but the real comparison point here is the sequel trilogy. Uh, which I think most of us kind of agree was generally a bust, you know, like, even if I think The Last Jedi is fantastic, or, you know, like, even if you think The Force Awakens is fantastic, etc., most people kind of have come down on the side of, like, yeah, Episode Nine was, like, really hot garbage that just, like, ruined it. That just, like, fucking ruined it. And I feel like in a world like that, The Mandalorian succeeds very well. Um, in a world with a more straightforward, even a more prequels-looking sequel trilogy, we'll talk about this a little bit more specific on the cast, uh, I think The Mandalorian would be res- regarded as, like, a pretty good, like, B-plus show, like, the the, the pretty, pretty good B-plus show that it is, right? Um, I don't think that it is rivaling the upper echelons of television like... Better Call Saul, right? Or even, like, across genres, right? Like, the BoJack Horsemans of the world that we all kind of are like, wow, what a great show. Um, or, like, HBO stuff, um, uh, barring, I guess, Game of Thrones final season and Westworld being good or bad, who even ke- like can keep track of that one anymore. Um, I feel like it is a good show that belongs really on the CW, but it just happens to be on a streaming service. So... I, I, I feel you on, on almost all of that. Um, I'm going to make the caveat here that this is a pretty good, okay, maybe to middling um, show that is excellent Star Wars, um, which stands in contrast to, I think, what was my personal biggest problem with, say, The Last Jedi, which is, which is like, it's, you know, the quality of the movie might differ, but it's but The Last Jedi has some problems specifically with its Star Warsiness. The Mandalorian is like top notch Star Wars, um, which I think is why it resonates so well with people who are yeah. I, so I very much agree with this, and and I think that this is probably one of the most interesting pieces about The Mandalorian. Uh, but maybe we should go into spoiler territory. Spoilers here. I actually don't know if that's correct. Well, you know what? Let's. So we both recommend it, right? Like we both so- re- recommend it. Yeah, it's it's good television, not game changing, 
but refreshing in a world of pretty shitty Star Wars content recently. And if you are a fan of Star Wars, you want to watch The Mandalorian, basically. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so with that, um, spoiler warning for The Mandalorian, probably also spoiler warning for any Star Wars movie, maybe any Star Wars property. Because, um, you know, they're, uh, part of being top-notch Star, stop, top Star Wars is there are some um, mid-to-deep cuts in lore, so some stuff might come out there. So if you're worried about being spoiled about anything in Star Wars that the two of us might know, I would say stop here. Um, but reasonably, that's The Mandalorian and the movies. Um Mm-hmm. I, that makes sense to you, buddy? That makes perfect sense to me. All right. Well, that's your warning. Uh, three, two, one. How do you want to kick it off? There? Okay, so here, here's here's the, the starting point I have in my head. Okay, so Patrick Willems, uh, who we've talked about on the cast before, he's like the shut up about plot holes guy. He created a video after The Rise of Skywalker came out, basically kind of lamenting the state of the series and a point that he makes in that video that i think is incredibly salient and one of the best things anyone has said about star wars in the past six months is that um when it comes to other versions of uh like when it comes to like other versions of like long-running continuity driven stories and series right Something that you eventually run into is the the quote-unquote create-your-own-canon version of events, right? And he talks about how in comics... Okay, so you know Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Man comics? Uh, I'm aware of her, yes. Yeah, so Gwen Stacy, like, dies in the 70s, right? Um, she gets killed by... I mean, she gets thrown off a building by the Green Goblin, but then Peter Parker hits her, like, Spider-Man hits her with a, a web and ganks her back up and that snaps her neck so technically peter kills her but like you know whatever the the point is like she dies it's like the most important thing that ever happened to like her character or whatever in the mid-2000s there was a storyline about how during that time like period time period in the 70s like when she was still alive she had a secret affair with norman osborne who is the Green Goblin and Spider-Man's, like, arch-nemesis, right? Like, the Joker to his Batman. And had two twins and kept all of this secret from Peter. And those twins are now, have now grown up and are, like, looking for some vague form of revenge. And also, Norman Osborn is not dead. Uh, He comes back even though he gets impaled on his own collider, a la uh, Spider-Man 1, the movie. And it's pretty universally reviled as a storyline. Basically, everyone is like, this ruins, like, not just Gwen Stacy as a character, but, like, also Norman Osborn and also Peter Parker. And it's incredibly weird, and it doesn't make any sort of sense. And Patrick talks about how, in the process of fandom reconciling with moments like this, a crucial distinction gets made, where people kind of go like, yeah... It's just, like, not really canon. And what happens is further stories come out, and stuff like this falls by the wayside, right? And we just don't talk about it. We don't mention it. Sure, it happened in a technical sense, but in a more spiritual, true sense, this is not a storyline that defined Peter Parker. In the same way that other storylines have gone on to have very lasting consequences for, like, Peter Parker. And he references them all the time, right? Like, the death of Gwen Stacy is a good example of this. Even now, in current Spider-Man, right, it wouldn't be strange to see Peter make a reference to the guilt he feels at Gwen's death or whatever and so what happens is there's this collective 
fan consciousness that kind of decides what is canon and what is not canon right and that's a that's a uh, that's a question outside of most other uh like most other mediums right like if you are watching a tv show like billions or whatever or like game of thrones very rarely will this kind of thing happen and at, at most movies right like this is not stuff in the fast and the furious franchise right which is like nine movies deep or whatever you're still getting deep cuts to the early movies all the time effectively everything is canon and so something that happens is like when a property gets big enough right you start to fall into this territory and what we have found with the rise of skywalker in a way is like the first big bombastic place where people look at a movie at a star wars movie and just kind of go like yeah i'm just gonna not I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen, which is crucial because that did not happen with the prequels, right? Even though, like, culturally speaking, the prequels are, like, reviled and they are a joke and people make fun of them at the drop of the hat. They're, like, quotably made fun of, right? People still accept that the the events of the prequels happened, right? It is part of canon. It is part of, like, lore to the Star Wars universe that all the, all, the, all of this happened. It is kind of no longer lore in a weird way that the rise of Skywalker happened. Just if you're reading the sort of the way people talk about it in like that cultural context. Right. And, um, and the Mandalorian is an interesting sort of cross section of that phenomenon taking place because the Mandalorian is like good. And it's also has just nothing to do with any of this other stuff. And you can tell that it cares about certain aspects of star Wars a lot. Right. I mean, mostly the original trilogy because that's where like the lion's share of its references get made but also crucially a bunch of prequel references are being made in uh in the mandalorian so it accepts that these things are canon right it does not do deal with the sequel trilogy at all which you know it is set before the sequel trilogy that's fair right um but just like I thought that was really significant. <laughs> that yeah. the show completely avoided talk about the First Order, General Leia, you know, uh, any of the stuff that was, like, set up in uh, Episodes 7, 8, and 9. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely uh, agree with you with, with, with most of that. Um, I, I think the bigger thing there about not recognizing the sequels is just that, like, there's um, no... Uh, the, like you said, it's, it's set before it. In fact, there is... Specifically, a reference to, I believe it's uh, Clone Wars, the sword that he uses to cut, uh, that, that uh, Moff Gideon uses to cut himself out of the, the, uh, the his, his crash TIE fighter is the Darksaber, which is a plot item from, I believe, the animated, or the CG Clone Wars. Yeah, well, so they really like the CG Clone Wars, which I've been told is a really fantastic show. I've watched a couple of episodes on, of it, and I talked about it on the cast. Um, in a certain sense, I actually think it's pretty peak Star Wars um, in the, in uh, in kind of the the same way that the Mandalorian is with these sort of just like small episodic, you know, uh, stories told in the war. Obviously, like the Clone Wars is much more of a kids show. But it is very much the same sort of thing of just like vignettes of, hey, here's a Jedi Master and here's his right. Like, here's his tough quandary for today right um in the same way that right like that that is kind of the pitch at least for the middle episodes uh of sort of how the clone war or sort of how like the mandalorian works right uh but the siege of mandalore which gets referenced 
in this show and you see like the 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 super battle droids um where wherever you know they, they say that he's not a real mandalorian he's from another planet he just got saved by mandalorians sort of thing um you know it is making real references to uh mandalore and the mandalorians and i also understand that a lot of the this lore about the mandalorians with like the beskar steel and shit like that also comes from the clone wars so some of it just comes generally from expanded universe novels yeah, I, so I, I think this is the thing to highlight when you're talking about, like, what is canon, right? Like, um, Star Wars, I think, has a particularly acute case of this because, like, you know, there has always been the expanded universe and you could always kind of ignore some stuff, right? Like, you go read Bookipedia on the legend stuff and it's yeah. just kind of like whatever, right? Like, um, a personal favorite of mine is there's a thing called, like, Megachlorians or something like that. That's, like, one of – it's just many attempts to live forever. Um uh, and, uh, and so there's been this kind of like sifting regardless. And we also had this big upheaval when Disney decanonized everything, but people still like hold some of that stuff as essentially can't, you know, like canon unless otherwise contradicted type of level. Um, yeah, for the yeah. Good and stuff. they like specifically recanonized some things, right? Like everybody Thrawn. loves, um, who's the Thrawn. Yeah. Everybody loves Thrawn. And so Thrawn comes back in rebels and they recanonize a bunch of his stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think also along this lines, you can you can also see that even though the prequels are mostly kept in canon, you can see people like kind of like you know midi chlorians exist, but they're maybe not as you know as definite as they are. They seem in Episode One, right? Like you know, I think part of this is because um, the prequels, while maybe not stuff, maybe not being the greatest movies, are very very Star Wars, and so it's easy to take kind of like the framework. And, like, the events that happened and accept them as part of the canon um, yeah. with, without, like, you know, you know, there's prequel memes, but, like, it is not important to the canon that Anakin hates sand, right? Like, or that he says, like, you know, it's, you know, like, he has his line, you know, it's rough, it gets everywhere, right? Like, that being canon is kind of inconsequential, whereas something like the existence of the Holdo maneuver is controversial to say the least, right? Which is why I think it's, it sticks less in the canon or like, you know, the, the to use the rise of Skywalker example, um, the emperor, like the emperor, like cloning Snoke and vats and being back and also being a clone that isn't mentioned in the movie, but like maybe was announced in Fortnite, right? Like that whole nonsense I think is contributes to it being more easily kind of discarded from the canon, right? Um, but the, like like you said, the the kind of remarkable thing is that the things that have been notorious that are like almost impossible to discover from the canon are the core movies. But there seems to be kind of a collective desire to at least do that with uh, with Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, I was really expecting to see not you know because it's not like there isn't stuff that you could play with, right? I mean, like the prequels do this with the original trilogy all the time. Uh, and so I was expecting to see a little bit of that in The Mandalorian, especially because it is making references back to the original trilogy. And, I mean, he goes to the Moss Eisley spaceport into the same fucking cantina where they meet Han Solo. And the guy is sitting there in the chair that Han Solo said. You know what I mean? Like, it is very willing to do those sorts of deep cuts. Like, at first I was a little, like, they're trying to keep it separate, right? They're trying to keep it far away from, like, the events or whatever of, like, the original trilogy. And then they did that stuff in Moss Eisley. And I was like, no, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. They will happily, like, hit you with that, right? Um, and so I thought it was, I thought it was, I guess, significant uh, is what, is what I would say that like, we didn't get a reference to like, 
Poe Dameron, or we didn't get references to, you know... Well, um, Poe wouldn't be alive yet. Like, maybe, like, you get, like, you know, like, Steve Dameron, who is... Well, yeah, well, like, but, like, you know, imagine he goes to some planet or whatever, and there's, like, a little scoundrel kid, and that's Poe or whatever. Or, like, or, I mean, I think the real answer is, like, General Leia or, like, yeah, the Resistance yeah. or, like, the First Order, right? Like, these are all established properties by the time Episode Seven rolls around, um, and so I was almost sort of expecting, maybe this is like the Better Call Saul watcher, um, I was almost sort of expecting, right, that like, maybe we were gonna tell a little bit of the story of the First Order, or something like that, yeah. right? With this, you know, like, with this Imperial, with this, like, Imperial stuff. Nope, they don't, they don't want you to think about it at all. They reference Rogue One with those Black Death Troopers or whatever, you know, like, they reference uh, basically every other movie. I guess maybe not Solo, I don't really know if there's any references to Solo in there. Um, but they yeah, do not right. reference any of the movies, 7, 8, or 9, which I thought was significant. Yeah, I mean, so, to, to be fair... It was releasing before Nine was released, and I'm sure that they weren't told anything because they're notoriously secret about their Disney plans. Um, except for, like, when John Boyega leaves the script beneath his bed at a hotel or something. Um, but, like, you know, to, to be fair to Nine specifically, this was probably shot and wrapped long before Nine was. Um, but you're right. Seven and eight, sir, like, there's, like, nothing, right? Like, you know, like you said, Leia, Holdo... Uh, uh, Akbar, right? Like, no, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I think, I think maybe that's the heart of it, right? Like, nobody, nobody specifically is referenced, right? Like, there's nobody in the main canon that, sh- like, or you know, in in the mainline movies that like shows up even by association, right? Like, we know that the Empire has fallen, but like. Um, and maybe this will roll into something that we were discussing in, in, in one of our own chats, um, you know, to the point that, like, no one knows what a Jedi is. Um, yeah, that, I think, is ridiculous, to be honest. But. Yeah. Um, so, but this is this is not a Mandalorian-specific problem, right? Like, how well-known the Jedi are just seems to, like, fluctuate wildly. And maybe that's, like, slightly, like, you know, like, maybe that's, like, somewhat believable. But, like, you know, there's... Yeah, I, I so I think the the kind of steel man argument to this uh, that I find most persuasive, though kind of not persuasive enough, is the idea that the galaxy is a big place, right? Uh, I once had this argument about episode seven where I was like, how the fuck is it a legend, right, that like Luke Skywalker and Han Solo or whatever, like these guys are big huge figures in in the core of the rebel alliance that like takes the galaxy back from the empire right how on earth are people not telling stories of luke's climactic showdown in like the emperor the, the emperor's throne room or kind of whatever and the point that the person i was arguing with at the time made is that like the galaxy is a big place right if you think on us on like our world, like do you know when dictators are overthrown in Bangladesh or whatever? It's like, well, yeah, I don't really have a good sense, right? I have a good sense of American politics maybe, but I don't have a great sense of what like and it's like, okay, well, even in American politics, like who is the governor of Minnesota? Fuck, I don't know who the governor of Minnesota is or whatever. So if you are living on in like an out out outer rim planet, how what is the likelihood, you know, that you are understanding the significance of like the emp- of like this showdown in like the imperial uh, like throne room, 
And I don't and I don't quite buy that that argument. We all understand who the president is. If the vice president's son assassinate or like tries to assassinate the president and then the vice president kills the president by throwing his son down an energy well i'm pretty sure i'm gonna (laughs) fucking hear about that shit you know what i mean but like i get the galaxy is a big place and to a certain extent i think that lets a certain amount of this happen i'm just just imagining mike pence like throwing donald trump into like an oil derrick or something yeah That's 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 a good, yeah. And the wor- and the worst part about it is the Jedi, right? You know, we were making like we were talking about this in chat, right? The Clone Wars were not that long ago. They are like 30, 40 years ago. I mean, I don't really know when the Mandalorian takes place, right? But let's say thirty years ago. That's like the nineties for us. Not only that. The Mandalorian himself specifically has memories stretching into the Clone Wars. He remembers super battle droids so well that he has a lifelong grudge against all droids forever, right? But he doesn't know about the Jedi who were commanding the Republic forces in that war. Like, nobody ever told him about the super cool fucking space wizards. Like, that just seems ridiculous. Yeah, especially since, like, they... (laughs) They were so involved in, in certain things. And, and, and as, as I pointed out in, in, in our other conversation, the kind of thing that's weird about this in the mirror is, like, everybody seems to have heard of the Mandalorians, which, like, maybe is, like, a viewer universe kind of, like, shift thing, which is kind of funny, right? Like, um, but I don't think the man like, there were, like, maybe 10,000 Jedi. I don't think there were, like, there were a lot of Mandalorians, but I don't know if there were so many that, like, everybody would know what a Mandalorian was, but yeah. wouldn't know. Well, and, like, and the thing with the Jedi, like, I mean, even, the, it's just completely ridiculous anakin skywalker who is in a back who is a, a a slave child in a backwater planet of tatooine instantly recognizes the term jedi right he's never seen one he's never met one or whatever right and so he's like they are kind of legendary or like mythical but like he understands them so it's just like how does a similarly aged kid in the universe who was specifically remembering to events from the clone wars not like, he, he doesn't know who the Jedi are. I think part of it is, like, the Jedi l- spread themselves throughout the universe because they are, like, the commanders of the clone army. Um, so, like, if they all stayed in one spot or whatever, maybe it would make sense. But, like, the whole point of episode three, like, the, the Order 66 montage is that you have Jedi spread all across the galaxy, you know, like, leading forces. So, I don't know. That, that has always struck me as very strange, yeah. and I think it's pretty dumb and stupid. I agree, but it's also like a it, it is a general Star Wars problem because this is not the yeah. only property that has that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, even in Episode uh, uh, Four, right? It's the same sort of thing with Luke. Yeah, uh, though he understands the Jedi, you know, better, obviously. Yeah, and I, I think I think part of that too is that like you understand the uh, the Doyleist problem there, which is that like you know, A New Hope was written first, and like I maintain that it's like the 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 feeling that that the original trilogy gives you trilogy gives you is that the Galactic Empire has been around for a while, and it's been around for like nineteen years, maybe, right? So like, it's which which always you know that's a thing I personally don't like, but that's you know that's a personal thing. Um, right. See, I see, I, I I get that in a sense, but uh, 
what I, one of the, what I like about it is that the the empire is not a revolution like an of overthrow it's a revolution of bureaucracy in a way yeah. right the republic becomes the empire which kind of forgives it for me right um yeah, and I I think the way it becomes the the empire is 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 pretty great I just the the time scale thing always annoyed me a little bit but it's not the end of the world yeah yeah no, yeah I get that I get that for sure um uh, but anyway, we should talk about the specifics of yeah. this show. Um, so it starts a little slow. I was actually not quite on board with it. I, in fact, I think I tweeted out that I thought it was a B minus show. At the end, I would call it a B plus show. It kind of like got there. Um, but I think the first like three episodes, maybe. What's the so the first episode? He gets the thing and gets Baby Yoda. The second episode, he's like stuck on the planet. Yeah. Until he kills like the Mudhorn. Um, and the third episode is when he goes and he turns baby yoda in but then goes back and gets him again i kind of feel like all that really should have been episode one i think so i think i i agree with that um and kind of i'm kind of like a larger scale like like my initial reaction was like this 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 show is like a lot of filler and like you could probably get away with watching the first and the last episode and then i thought about it and that's not true but that's only because it is kind of slow right like yeah you need to watch like the first three episodes and then the last, the last two, two, two yeah, and then like maybe the fourth episode to know who the one character was, and then uh, there was, and then there was. Uh, I had another reason for watching. Like essentially, what I tell it all was like, oh, I guess you do need to watch all of them. But like the plot, the plot per episode uh, is pretty slim, and it feels like most of it is kind of like monster of the week type stuff. Yeah, and I'm actually very okay with that. Like I was kind of, it, it, I'm almost sort of advocating for more of it right like i feel like if you set up the sort of like you know like wolf and cub dynamic in episode one where it is baby yoda and the mandalorian like cruise in the galaxy or whatever but you keep it at eight episodes and you just replace episodes two and three with more episodic stuff i feel like that probably plays better i also feel like episode seven and eight can probably be like condensed to which is like a weird thing to say in a way um, but, uh, but it just felt like that was, that was kind of the appropriate way to play it. Um, the place where the Mandalorian kind of comes into its own is in that episode four, five, six stretch where you are getting just sort of these one-off stories, um, of their, you know, like of their travels through the galaxy. Uh, and I think that that's great. I think really the problem here is, um, even though I like those four, five, six kind of like like structurally i actually don't think that the, the episodes that w- themselves are like amazing or transcendent even amazing or transcendent in the in the way that like you know firefly was um, yeah like no, I... one of the things that the, the mandalorian is very straightforward um, yeah there's not a lot of twists and turns there's not a lot of unexpected new shit happening um it's just really played dead straight and that's fine right this is this is where it stays in that b you know b plus range or whatever but it is also the thing holding it back from something greater i think i think i absolutely agree with that because like it's one of those things where like i think the thing that i wanted was more of the overarching plot um just because i found that engaging i felt like i could like not super pay attention to a lot of the stuff that was happening but i think you're right i think i think if the individual episodes had a little bit more to them um, it would it would feel better because like most of it just kind of like you know Mandalorian gets thing Mandalorian fights thing Mandalorian win and escape with Baby Yoda right like he's, he's kind of like the 
the the rough outline for most of the episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is also a little bit of what I was hoping. Um, like, in, this, this is another thing I think that's like holding it back. I said before that it's like a perfect CW show, and the real reference I'm making there is to kind of like the Arrowverse set of shows, which is Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, there's a bunch of them now, like Supergirl, Batwoman, or whatever. Um, but one of the thing, like the the formula to those shows that are great, is it's effectively monster of the week, but there's always a running B plot that is connecting the whole season. Right. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, here's the season, big bad. His name is whatever. Mr. X, Mr. X is coordinating things and you get a little, you get little insights into him and his plan. Right. And he does things like send the, the monster that week. Right. Or he does something else in parallel to the superhero kind of like fighting the monster. And I think that that would have been another thing that the Mandalorian like really like wanted or needed. Um, the, the, the middle episodes are a little too contained. Um, I think, and having some insight into, you know, Gideon from the beginning into Werner Herzog's just, just amazing character that I'm so sad that he's dead. God, I, I could not be, sadder that this guy is dead who Um, uh, who's this Werner Herzog is the the German guy he's the German guy that talks like this right but which character was he uh he's the guy that initially sends the Mandalorian on like the the chase oh okay I was I love Werner Herzog is very famous obviously like he's a famous director but that like his voice is also exceedingly famous um and I just would love to spend so much time with him in a TV show like this. I get the feeling that this kind of thing is, like, a little bit beneath him or whatever, but he, like, took it for the money or whatever else, which is kind of why they use the more kind of tried-and-true, right, uh, uh, bad guy, Giancarlo Esposito. Or was that, was that? Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito is, is, is Moff Gideon. Is um, Moff Gideon, right? You know, and obviously, like, his big, big turn was Gus in Breaking Bad. Um, and, uh, and ever since then, he's kind of been like doing the bad guy thing. So, but like, God, Werner Herzog is just so great. And I really would have fucking loved to see him sort of play this like Imperial Joseph Mengele who wants to dissect baby Yoda or whatever. Else. Yeah. I mean, they did that with a couple of things, right? Like Nick Nolte is Kuel, who is one of my favorite characters in the series. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, they killed Taiki with TD twice, um, <laughs> with IG-88. Yeah. Um, I also thought that was a little bit lame. Um, uh, and, uh, what was, the, who's the last one? Um, and like, uh, Zero, uh, the, the, the bot was Richard Iote. Um, although I guess you could probably bring him back in some way, because they clearly preserved Bill Burr, so Bill Burr can come back. Um, yeah. which is like, this, so I, I need to know now that, now that you've pointed out to me that Giancarlo Esposito is also Gus, Bill Burr was also in Breaking Bad. Like, he was also in Breaking Bad, yeah. Uh, is there like some like unknown connection here? Like, are we are we going to see like are we going to see like uh, Brian Granson show up? It's like Brian Granson. I, you know, I honestly sort of, and... I, I kind of just think that Breaking Bad is just like super famous that it like bleeds across. Like, I know some like Breaking Bad famously has a lot of love in Community, where you'll see you know like, uh, uh, God, who's the guy? Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks is like uh is a, a regular cast member for season four or whatever. Vince Gilligan himself shows up uh in a in a cameo role. If if you remember the game where they play the Bang Bang board game from the like the VHS cowboy board game for the nineties, the cowboy in that is Vince Gilligan. Um 
And then also there's like lots of weird community references in Breaking Bad. Like there's a bunch of low level people in Breaking Bad who are like community people. Anyway, whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know of anything, any of that kind of cross pollination like that. I do know that this is a very film centered cast though, right? Like obviously it's created by Jean Favreau. Jean, Jean Favreau. Jean Favreau. <laughs> Jean Favreau, the famed French director from. Queens. <laughs> uh, no, John Favreau, who is, you know, the director of Iron Man, Elf, right? Also an actor. Chef. Um, and uh, Taika Waititi directed a couple of episodes. Rick Fami, uh, Fukuyama? Fuck, I don't remember. Uh, actually directed a bunch of episodes. He famously did an indie drama that I, or like, kind of like an indie just like an indie like dramedy movie or whatever called dope a couple of years ago which is uh sort of the origins uh of a bunch of you know like a bunch of different people kind of came out of that movie um so it's very like film centered bryce dallas howard directed an episode which i was just like whoa okay all right uh yeah no, it's uh, it's it's got a lot of star power, and and maybe that's why they keep killing people off because like they can't like guarantee that anybody's gonna be around for the season. Yeah, yeah, they like might not be able to like afford them or whatever. That's one of the things, right? Like TV actors are TV actors; they get it. Uh, but like you know, Nick Nolte or you know Taika Waititi, these are guys that have schedules to keep, and you're just not gonna be able to guarantee that they're gonna be on set for season two. Uh, whereas, like, obviously, more mainstays. Pedro Pascal, obviously, is a is a TV ma- mainstay. Um, and so him, Giancarlo Esposito, right? These are guys that <laughs> William are, Burr. Yeah, like, these are guys you can, you can kind of rely on to show up when you need it. I was actually a little surprised that Bill Burr didn't show up again. I thought that um, we were looking at one of those things where, like, you pick one person up from each of those episodes when he went to go get Gina. I was like, oh, he's going to go get the mechanic from Tatooine, right? As part of his crew, and I think he's going to go get Bill Burr as part of his crew. Um, well, I think they're clearly around so that, like, in season two, there's a hook there. Um, and, like, maybe – and also there was, like, that thing at the end of the uh, the Gunslinger episode uh, with the assassin uh, where, like, somebody wait, went what was to, at the end of the Gunslinger episode? Somebody shows up at, 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 uh, at the assassin's body um, and, like, pats around on her. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it's clear exactly who it was in either, like – she survives, which maybe, or like you know, it comes back somehow, right? Like that's all. Yeah, like, that's uh, that's Amy Sedaris, Princess Carolyn in uh, in BoJack Horseman, who I can't think of as anything but Princess Carolyn, even though she's had a long and storied career in TV. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and I think that that would have been cool. That would have sort of also been like the overarching kind of narrative that I would have been looking for. That's a very like Seven Samurai sort of thing. Um, Right, like you get a bunch of kooky characters together for like the final shootout in Navarro. Carl Weathers obviously is also is also there. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I I didn't realize he was like Carl Weathers initially, but like in my mind he's just like this is like you know you know cut rate Billy D Williams, which is funny because Carl Weathers I think is a more famous actor in general, right? Like Billy D Williams basically, but he's like a cut rate Lando is what he really felt like. Yeah. Or like like what he yeah, was I mean Carl Weathers has been in Predator. He was you know obviously uh, in the Rocky movies. He's um, he's uh, Apollo Creed. Uh, they make the they make the point in. <laughs> they make the point in the Red Letter Media review of The Mandalorian that that man has not aged a day, and it's very true. He looks the exact same as he does in those Rocky movies. <laughs> I was I was thinking to myself as I was watching this, they just should have just used him instead of Billy like, D. Williams for Lando. Like, I think he would have played the part better. Um, 
uh, in in episode nine. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, I I am. Um, hmm. But yeah, I, I think I generally uh, uh, agree with you that like you know uh, that that just kind of like the, the the general feeling is is that like this needed this is this isn't great but it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that it dodges other problems that I have seen in other sorts of shows. Uh, like so, for instance, something that you and I have complimented about the Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul stuff is they have really, really phenomenal, excellent cinematography in those uh, shows, which is very true. And I think is on is like one of the things that really sets them apart, but is like not talked about as often as it as it should be. Right? Like they are just really, really well shot TV shows. Um, the Mandalorian is not particularly well shot. It's pretty regular. It's like a pretty, you know, normal sort of direct, even lighting, put it on a tripod, get a couple of different angles, but everything is wide. It's clear. It's all in focus. You know, you're not playing with any of this other sort of, uh, this other sort of stuff. There's a lot, there's, there's some cool lighting going on, you know, stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, it's focus is on simple core clarity, Right. Rather than more kind of flashy. Right. Like this is a shot that represents something metaphorically about the character. Right. Um, Which is the kind of thing that you get, which is very cool in Breaking Bad. But I think there are a lot of shows that suffer because they are attempting towards that Breaking Bad level and whiffing, if that makes sense. Um, You know, like Westworld kind of does this a little bit for me. Um which is maybe a little bit mean of an example just because nobody seems to know if that show is good or bad. But, like, a couple of other of these sort of, like, prestige shows. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Ozark cinematography, which also tries to do this. Um, I mean, Ozark in general is really trying to rip off Breaking Bad, so I get it. But, like, I think that those shows really lose a lot because they are trying so hard. Whereas The Mandalorian just says, listen, we're not... It's it's a, all we want to do is be very simple and direct, right? We just need people to really understand what's going on. We need them to know the 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 geography. We need them to understand, right, like the placement of the scenes within the narrative. It's very straightforward, and uh, and I like that a lot. That's like a great decision, especially a great decision to be made when you get a bunch of film directors directing your TV show. That is the kind of thing that the CW shows do, right? Which is why like action scenes in Arrow are better and more interesting and more complex than action scenes in like Westworld. Right. Um, because it's just, it's just about being, it's just about being like clear. I, I think this, this speaks to kind of like, it's about, it's, it's a very good star Wars movie too. Cause, or show rather, because like having very plain shots, like shows a lot of the worlds, which is essential yeah. to building star Wars, right? Like building mm-hmm. the star Wars, Star Warsiness, building the kind of your kind of comprehension of like what this galaxy looks like. I will say though that it seemed to me to be fairly dark. Um, this is a particular note to me because during the day I get like bad glare on my television, and if the scenes are dark, I can't really watch them. Oh, told, that sucks. Yeah. Um, but you know, like that just kind of like keyed me into things being particularly, uh, particularly dark, especially like like um, I think I just thought this was actually some of the better cinematography was um on the prison ship, um where things are very dark and like there's this one scene that I thought was really well done where he's sneaking up on Bill Burr's character. Oh yeah. And so that was probably the only shot of note I can think of. That was yeah. like clever, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I agree with you that, that it was legitimately clever. 
Uh, but yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the Seven Samurai episode, even though it, like, it's clearly, like, paying some amount of homage to it, even though it's, like, two Samurai? Uh, yeah, I was fairly disappointed by the Seven Samurai episode. I was really excited by the setup, because I thought the setup was cool, but I kind of felt it was ultimately pretty anticlimactic and a letdown. Uh, uh so big rip. Yeah, so I... I think part of the, I think it kind of speaks to some of the things that I like the, the ways I felt in general is that like, you know, Seven Samurai is like what three hours long. This episode yeah. was like thirty minutes long, right? So like, um, but I think that that might in general be part of the problem I have with the show is that like, it feels like it's just a little too short to really reach into anything. And for like a very simple plot line, it's good that it keeps it tight, keeps it from being too boring. I guess when you know it's a problem, you know, like when. When it's uh, sorry, uh, it keeps it from getting from go- if they didn't if they just made these an hour long and kept the same plot points, it'd be too long. But I'd rather have some more length than like the B plot that we talked about. Um, I wonder if this is better watching week to week, um, because this is a thing that I've been thinking about recently, right? Because as we watched through Baking Bad, I had friends, um, who were telling me that the stuff that I didn't like about Breaking Bad, say season four, the first half was better in the moment because, like, it was just kind of, like, tension building up over real time where it was a thing that I could just, like, watch through. Um, I wonder if there was the same thing here because it's got a traditional week-to-week release, um, even though we are in the age of streaming and it was a streaming exclusive. Um, And I bet you that that helps it along, but, uh, or, like, helps it feel better. Um, And I wonder how much of that is, like, like a, a thing to think about in kind of the modern age. It's like a more general concept, right? Like, I know that, like, I like John Wick movies better when I haven't watched the other John Wick movies right before I watch them, right? Because they hit a lot of the same beats um, in ways that are, like, almost equally as technically impressive, but maybe feel kind of samey if I've been watching John Wick for a while. Yeah, whereas um, something like BoJack Horseman, right, uh, is really great if you binge it because it's yeah. making a lot of callbacks to itself. Or like Better Call Saul, I think, is a good example of this too. I think it's a great show to binge watch because it's making a lot of uh, long references um, to things that have kind of like happened and come before. And so having a more kind of complete knowledge like really works in this favor. I agree with that point. I actually think that's probably true. And The Mandalorian would have been better if we'd done it week to week rather than like all in one sitting. Yeah. Um, I think I would have been a little bit frustrated by those first three episodes, though. I think yeah. I would have kind of checked out uh, uh, if I had gotten to episode three, and I it's my third week watching the show, and they just set up what to me just feels obviously the core premise, right? Um, which is the two of them sort of like traveling, you know, like sort of traveling the galaxy together. Um, I remember thinking the same thing about uh daredevil the daredevil netflix series but the daredevil netflix which is that the first two or three episodes could have been combined into one because you don't really get to the core narrative of like he becomes daredevil and then daredevil starts fighting king like working against kingpin until episode three or four and i remember sitting there thinking like jesus christ really this all should have been in episode one of the series um but it's more forgivable in a binge setting because like you get it all at once and you just keep, you just keep plowing through. I think it would have been really frustrating to have to like wait, wait, you know, two more weeks to get to the sort of like that central premise of the show. Yeah. I I think it's a little bit more forgivable week by week and the beginning of a series just because like, you know, 
you can like it, it's 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 a little bit more mysterious as to what's exactly happening, right? Like, um, obviously we've got a little bit of kind of like knowledge looking backwards as to what what happens, but you know it, it's uh, I, I I do think that's fair though. I mean I, I think we share this criticism, right? That like the like the the the, the episodes are a little bit slow and that the uh, the beginning of the show is a little bit slow and. Yeah. yeah, the show's a little bit slow, and the middle of the show's a little bit slow. It also um, sort of bothers me. Uh, this is a little bit unrelated, but just as long as we're complaining about the show. Something else that I that I found a little bit bothersome was how much he is Boba Fett. Uh, I was kind of waiting for him to do something new or unique that is not Boba Fett, and he didn't. He has the flamethrower, he has the cable, he picks up the jetpack in the last episode, which was actually pretty cool. Uh, I'm glad that he did not have the jetpack the whole time. Um, and like he shoots guys with his blaster and like one of the things that I think makes Boba Fett very cool is his like gadget, you know, is his like gadget stuff. Um, but I just sort of feel like they just showed the same gadgets that I've already seen and I want to see like new and unique gadgets, if that makes sense. We got Um, whistling birds, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's a good example. I was like, oh, these whistling birds are super cool. And then they clear them in a single episode. And I was like, really? Well, he, he uses them in the Bill Burr episode too, fighting the the big dude. But uh, uh, it, they, they oh, don't. Oh yeah, hit. I guess you're right. Yeah, the, it's just the, like it, yeah, it's just not as much as I was like hoping for. Yeah, um, but I think that's also like an like a, a way a thing that they can expand on, right? Like, um, I did like that we got a lot of like, and especially for someone who hasn't followed a lot of the extra media super closely since uh, since the Disneyification. Like, we got a lot of, and this is what a Mandalorian is, right? Like, this is the way, yeah. right? Like, that kind of stuff. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, Boba Fett is, like, a throwaway character, right? Like, he is, like, the the kind of, like, poster child for, like, things that looked cool in Return of the Jedi that the fanboys decided was important enough that, like, it got a whole thing surrounding it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and so, like, it's, it's cool to get, like, an insight into, I guess, the Mandalorian uh the, the the kind of mandalorian tradition and custom um yeah yeah i like that stuff with the beskar steel or whatever um i think all of that stuff worked pretty well together especially because like you know it's a i was actually kind of hoping it would be a little bit more of a slow burn for him like getting his armor i I've the when he makes like the one pauldron i was like oh that's neat here is a thing of value for him right that like you can reward him with like i feel like money is kind of intangible in tv shows right rewarding someone with cash for their bounty is kind of worthless because like you know you're not looking at their bank account and it's not like you want to put a scene where it's like well we have enough you know enough money to do another two weeks because like that stuff just like doesn't really translate but it very easily translates that oh one of these little things makes a piece of armor for him right and i thought that we were setting up in a situation where like all of his money was going to go into beskar steel or he was going to be paid exclusively in beskar steel and he's slowly it's like okay here's the right breast of my chest plate the left breast here's the abdomen here's you know the belt here's the boots he and he's kind of like slowly putting this like armor together um, and then in episode three, he just gets the whole thing of armor. I was like, Man. yeah, that was, that was like the thing that was like most surprising to me. Like I was, I was fully expecting him to like, look at it and like, look at baby Yoda and then look at it and then like hand it back and take Yoda away. Cause like that, you know, it's like the trope, right? Like turn yeah, down yeah, the yeah. material wealth. It's like, nope, I will have my cake and eat it too. I will go make my breastplate and then steal the baby. Um, 
Although I would like to see more of kind of like that doctor character who is presumably dead now or something. I bet you he comes back in season two. Um, but he seemed like like at least like interesting, like because because we still don't know why they want it. Like obviously it's force powerful. Obviously Moff Gideon has some relationship to the force in some way, given that he has the dark saber. Um, but uh, but yeah, I am. Uh, I I thought like I think there's enough unanswered questions here um, that we can get good stuff out of it. I just kind of want them to do that instead of like so. so Maybe the way to put this is it's like the same way, the same thing problem I had with like uh, uh, with with Jimmy's like with Chuck having the taped confession on Jimmy in uh, Better Call Saul, right? Like you you roughly know how it has to go, um, uh, and it's worse in Better Call Saul just because you know you know that Jimmy's a practicing lawyer in Breaking Bad, um, you know how it roughly has to go, and there's no like clear and pressing way in which it's a, like the threat's a problem. It's just kind of like a thing that then, you know, that they'll eventually have to deal with. It doesn't feel like it's pressing at the moment, right? Like there is always going to be a problem with baby Yoda. And like, it comes in a little bit in each episode, but it's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, you have scenes of one of the snake nose or the, the tube nose people, hunting uh, the Mandalorian across a couple of episodes, just like kind of like barely missing rendezvous or whatever. And that's a pressing concern is kind of like a thing, you know, of uh, occasionally pops up, but it's all like, all of like the individual instances of that problem are per episode rather than being like a, 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 an arc per se inside of uh, inside of the show. And I think something like that, right? Like, you know, um, like, you know, whatever B plot happens with say Gideon, whatever, plot happens with the Imperials, um, which is, I assume that the next season is going to be something of, like, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda darting back and forth from Navarro, that's the name of the planet, right, um, while they go look for whoever, you know, they go look for Yoda's kind, or Baby Yoda's kind, which uh, um, is its own kind of, like, Star Wars deep cut lore, or nerd, nerd funness, because, like, Yoda species is, you know, doesn't have an entry in the, in the Jedi code, the Jedi, uh, archives even. Um, it's like, uh, it's, it's like this, one of the great Star Wars mysteries. So, um, uh, I also wonder how long they can stretch it out before it gets kind of like tired, but I, I definitely looking forward to season two. Yeah, me too. I also am hoping that like, as the show builds more kind of continuity and context for itself, that it'll, it'll get better. This is something that I also think improved about uh, like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul kind of like over time, right? As you kind of create a sort of like a backlog foundation uh, of sort of like things that are going on and threats that are happening, you can make them more complex over time, right? Like in season one of Breaking Bad, the Salamancas are very simple and straightforward but by the time that season four rolls around there's all of this backstory that you are now getting just because like you have that that time and these sorts of shows i think really benefit from that like significantly i i think i agree this is also like a, i think a sci-fi staple even right like deep space nine gets good once the dominion war gets rolling which is after a season or two um, I haven't watched a ton of TNG, but I have heard the same thing, right? That, like, the best TNG happens. Hell, it even happens in, like, sitcoms, right? Like, S Seinfeld gets good in, like, season four of seven, right? Um, whereas before that, it's just okay. So, you know, um, uh, it's that's it, probably a thing that will find its legs, assuming it can go for long enough without it being a problem. Um, 
Although, how long Baby Yoda can stay Baby Yoda uh, is is interesting. Is is a thought. Um, what do you th- just kind of like? Because I saw this popping around around the time it was coming out. Somebody pointed out that like if Baby Yoda is fifty, that means that like Yoda is like not that old like by scale. Um, what what do you what like I you know I think that's like a funny thought. I don't think it holds a lot of serious analysis. But do you have do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, I guess I don't. Uh, okay. Obviously, I like I like Yoda as being nine hundred years old or whatever. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I get that. Um, no, it's just like a, a fun thing. It's like you know Yoda's technically a teenager if you scale it. Um, uh, which I don't think is quite right, but you know, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, although it does have the, I guess the, the ability to like make this into like, you could probably do a time skip in the middle of it. Right. Like and have like, you know, old Mandalorian and like your baby Yoda is slowly becoming like a, like, you know, like a middle-aged or whatever, or like a young adult Yoda species. Um, that would be neat, especially since you can just like keep the helmet on. Uh, for most of it, uh, uh, I was so I get that they probably had to pull the helmet off at some point. I would kind of wish that they had kept it on for a little bit longer. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, I also think you know, back to spray or whatever was kind of lame. Yeah. I think a lot of stuff in that final episode was lame. I think I would have liked the Mandalorian a lot better if they had just like done something. It just felt a little bit rote um, with like IG eleven like killing himself again i was actually really like i think ig11 is cool and i want to see him be a part of the main cast uh especially so. with with Kowal dead right like yeah 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 uh you know like he he is he is the living embodiment of uh of of Kowal. um although I, I i suspect with the droid like they kill droids like it's nothing which like always kind of yeah. hits me weird because it's like yeah i get it but like they like especially like like they want you to feel for IG eighty eight and they do all this work to be like Quail's like this is my son that I made and then he is my you know like like very clearly like I have imprinted my values onto him yeah but then in the prison episode they get into the cockpit and there's a person there and it's like no you said we weren't gonna kill anybody and yeah. meanwhile they're like fucking slaughtering these droids yeah or like they uh, yeah. they, they they blew the uh, the head off of, like the bar like the 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 pole droid in uh in in the last episode like it was nothing. Yeah. Um, although I think that's a little bit more, but you know, like it's <sighs> Star Wars is a weird relationship between like the the relative sentience of droids because like there's some that are clearly less right, like like uh, and the Federation bots are supposed to be like much less less of this right, um, but yeah, it just kind of feels like uh, this is vaguely uncomfortable, but uh, I don't know, that's just the way it goes, I guess. Uh, what else do we do we have yeah. any anything else to talk about in our, I don't know in, I you know I guess I I don't have a lot else to talk about I in, in a certain sense I feel like we haven't talked about the show itself that much uh but like the the world around the show in a way uh which is kind of apt because I think the show's pretty simple and there's yeah. not a ton to go into yeah, there's not, like, a lot of themes to talk about, like, yeah. or, like, they're fairly obvious, and, like, the plots, right? Like, we could describe the plots for you, but, like, you know, it's, you could, like, you'd have a better time just, like, reading the Wikipedia entry or, like, you know, watching it, right? Like, they're not that long. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, we talked about how, how Star Wars-y it is, which is very, which is good. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. I, um, do you have predictions for season two? What 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 are what are some of your predictions? Do you think they're going to be more deep cuts? Um, deep cuts. Hmm. I'm not sure. It would not surprise me if, say, Darth this, is Darth Maul dead by now. Oh, he must be because Obi Wan kills him in the desert at some point. Um, but like something vaguely Sithy probably happens. I would guess. Um, what else? Yeah, uh, my hope actually is that we see more. Uh, like, I would love the huts to show up. Like, yeah, not Java, obviously, but I re- I've always loved Hut Space and like the Hut Cartel um, as like a Star Wars thing, and so seeing more Hut stuff would be really neat. Um, also, something that's neat is is that like we get like so Hut Tees was designed as a language but wasn't like fully like it wasn't never like made a full language it's like some researcher based it on i believe it was um like uh the uh what's the name of them the 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 the, like uh mesoamerican languages i believe um is is what it was based on but like it's not like a formalized language we're getting little pieces of it now more so it'd be cool to see more of that and that 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 is hatiz right which is the second most spoken language in the galaxy behind common um uh but i assume we'll get more celebrity cameos as weird aliens um and i will love them because i think yeah. those are fun yeah um, i actually i think i think the i think there was a lot of like rebel empire stuff but i think that there's actually a lot of space to kind of like dig into i would love to see like the baron dosages show up uh like the baron dosages are like an alternate force tradition from the jedi of keldor uh, who who use the force to control weather on their planet? Um, <laughs> that's that's, that's or... definitely going to happen. They're going to like go to that planet and be like, "Hello, are you this space wizard's father?" And they'll be like, "No, you well, want no, the like, other space wizards." The, the, like the, there are a bunch of different uh, alternate like force traditions. There's the witches, um, which are also featured really prominently in the Clone Wars. That like have their own way of using the force. I think they're like the night witches or something. Um, there's a whole sect of, of force users who use these, um, kind of like, like big round circle blade things and they like throw it, but they like warp it in midair with a boomerang. And I think it was only in like the comics or something, but like that's so the moment John Favreau sees, that you know he's gonna be like oh they have to go like fucking do the the zizan shah planet with the fucking force blades and stuff like that i think that that is really where like the show wants to go that that makes sense as to like why you know this this is you know like there are space sorcerers and we're not sure which ones which space sorcerers you want so go visit all of them like i would forgive like you know how does no one know who the jedi are if that's like the result is you you get like a tour de force through all the different traditions yeah. Um, although and, I also and, like, I like the idea that like it is not just all about you know Tie Fighters. And, like, I want to see them. What is what is the the Hut Cartel faction want? Like, like what what are they like? What are you know any of the other sort of like intermittent sort of mid level factions? Like the Black Suns are a famous mercenary company. Um, like group in the in the galaxy and you get some of this stuff with like oh guild rules say you can't do xyz or whatever um but i just kind of really hope that we get to see like sort of more of that stuff that's the stuff that i'm always interested in when it comes to star wars in fact we've talked about playing a star wars game and that's the stuff that i'm just like oh yeah like i want to see like the low level competing factions 
what are they like? What are they up to? What are they doing? Right? Um, kind of like, you know, I actually don't have a great example for what this is kind of like. Kind of like actually the Salamancas, it, like the 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 cartel itself in Breaking Bad is like interesting, but like the real interesting is like thing is Gustavo's operation versus the Salamanca operation, right? And I want to see some of that stuff kind of like come to light. Uh, yeah, in the Mandalorian season two. No, I absolutely agree with that. I think that like the Outer Rim is like there's a reason that like a lot of stuff happens in the Outer Rim, right? Like you get a very much kind of like old boss or new boss is relatively similar to the old boss, right? Like you know, yes, the Imperials were worse, but it's not like the, the New Republic's doing a lot for them out here, type yeah. of deal. Yeah, I mean, like I would love to see something about like the New Republic, uh, <laughs> like the New Republic, the Imperial Remnant, the Hut cartels, more stuff from the Mandalorians, more stuff from this guild. Any new factions you want to invent, I'm down for all any and all of that, really. Uh, yeah, because um, that's I, I. You know what I bet? I bet at some point we get like the on its face good faction, but wants to like take control of the baby for like uh, you know decent, but you know ultimately like kind of evil purposes type of deal, right? Like that's that, that's like a thing I could see happening. You know, like, yeah, yes, we are the guardians of peace, and we are going to eat this baby to keep you know to keep the force from like being. Well, no, I mean, like something. this is something, for instance, that underlies. Um, this is something that underlies Ozark in a way that I think is really cool, right? Like as much as I've shit on that show on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, the show starts with the like they're working for a cartel, but as they like progress through and learn more about the Ozarks they learn more about, like, the different factions that exist within the Ozarks, right? Like, here are, you know, hillbilly kind of, like, crank tweakers, but, like, who control a certain amount of, like, whatever, like, drugs in the area. Here are, you know, poppy farmers on the mountain who are selling heroin and need to, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And the show really takes off when these factions start co- kind of competing with one another in, in the same sort of way, so... Yeah, that's my that's my thing. That's my read. I also think Boba Fett's got to show up, but I bet Boba Fett shows up in season three. I think he's going to live, and I think he's going to get out of that Sarlacc pit, and I think he's going to show up as, like, some version of cool in, in this show. That or he's going to, like, show up as, like, a, not a real Mandalorian, right? Like, you know, and, like, it's going to be, like, a thing where it's, like, you're you're not, like an actual Mandalorian. You're just yeah. like the stolen valor or something. That'd be, I would know. I would think that would be really neat, right? Like imagine a season wide arc where Boba Fett is, you know, the villain, um, or whatever else. Right. That would be really cool and interesting. I would absolutely be down for that. Right. Like this is the kind of thing that I feel like other people would shit on, you know, like the idea that, Oh, we got to bring Boba Fett in for the Mandalorian. But I actually think there is, it's legitimately, a, a big open question for the series and untrod ground that I would like to see resolved. You see, like, I bet you the seed being planted is like, you know, maybe he's not a real Mandalorian, but like he like, you know, kid Boba Fett looks kind of like kid, uh, the kid Davin, Devin, whatever his, whatever our, our Din Javin or whatever our, 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 our main character's name is. Uh-huh. Um, and so like, uh, you know, you're not a real Mandalorian, but when it comes down to, he's like, you know, I was just a kid that like lost my father and I just took the armor, right? Like, who are you to say I'm not like a real foundling or something like that? Uh Um, I could see something like that happening. Um, especially like, like I said, they, 
it, it feels weird that they like that they ha- they're both like kind of like the same kind of like you know uh, slightly darker complexion, curly hair um, type of kids that become Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you know, we'll see. I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, so do you, you want to move into weeks? Yeah. Well, let's talk. Obviously, I am so interested. Season three, Better Call Saul. Before we do that, I want to call this out just because it's super relevant to Star Wars. Um, Buddy, do you remember when we talked about in the past about doing a Star Wars campaign? You said your perfect campaign was like people flying around on a ship being ambassadors. Yeah. So um, I've been listening to this podcast called Mission to Zix, which is a parody sci-fi podcast. It um, it sends up like almost every sci-fi you can think of. But it is exactly that. Right, like it is exactly an emissary and like a security officer and his robot and the ship is sentient and they're flying around the galaxy doing you know ambassador missions for uh, for a couple different factions. But it's all, it's all comedy. It's hilarious. And I have to. I highly recommend it uh, to anybody who's like a fan of sci-fi. Um, there's like seventy-ish episodes. I want to say um, you can start episode one. You'll figure out pretty quickly if you if you like it. It's improvised, but like not like you know hot. T- it's you know. They do the impro- – like, you can hear the outtakes at the end. They, they, you know, improvise it, and if it doesn't work, they they edit around it. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's Star Wars adjacent. The ambassador is a Zima warrior who is gifted in the fresh side of the space as opposed to the wax side. Um, and uh, while that joke doesn't quite land uh, out of my mouth here, it lands great in the, the – in the podcast, so I highly recommend that to everyone. That's mission to Zix Z Y X X. But yeah, <laughs> buddy has waited patiently, and now we will talk about uh, Better Call Saul season three. Um, I, can you guys tell that I love this show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, where where do I want to start? Um, it's 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 been it's it's captured my attention right like i watched through the episodes fairly quickly after we after we record i'll go watch the next season within a couple of days usually um i find the storylines very compelling i like that we're starting to see the beginning of of uh of Saul essentially right like we get Saul Goodman um productions we get kind of like backsliding into Slip and Jimmy um but we do also kind of get to see like the part of him that's like ultimately does the right thing, which is like him going and like faking his own admission that he lied to uh, that that he that he misled the the, the lawsuit. Um, although I think the other side of this is is kind of an actuality. I was with his earlier argument that it is probably better for the for the residents of Sandpiper to cash out their settlement early because they're older and they are at the end of their lives and like spending a couple extra years to get like an extra thousand bucks a piece is less valuable to them than having the cash now yeah um but i think they just kind of had to figure out how to how to undo that in order for like you know the uh for see i actually think jimmy all i i agree with that argument i think jimmy also agrees with that argument but the way i think he does the right thing by oh god what's her name it's like Mrs. Stevenson or something, right? Like, you know, the way that he kind of ruins her life to, in order to, per, like, in order to kind of, like, put the pressure on 
um, her to settle the lawsuit is like the not okay thing. And honestly, that is maybe one of my, I think season three is my favorite season of Better Call Saul. And that is one of the things that makes it so good, I think, is I love that it ends with Jimmy doing this kind of like act of uh, this like waffling back. Because I think for a lot of this season, for a lot of season two and season three, you kind of see Jimmy at his worst. And it's nice to see him kind of like come back up for air in a way. Um, especially cause it's like a kind of a good contrast to Chuck who is basically less like all downhill this season. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, he, 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 so this, this is probably one of my, my biggest criticisms is he's like uphill on his like personal front. Right. Um, you know, getting better with the electricity thing and like then at the very, and I guess it's supposed to be because of the, the crushing blow of, of my boy Howard throwing him out of the firm. Right. Like Howard has quickly become my favorite character in the series. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, towards like, so in that final episode, he throws Chuck out of the firm, Chuck, like Jimmy shows up and Chuck holds it together long enough to like tell Jimmy off basically. And then he like loses it again, which didn't quite like track for me in terms of like the order that things were happening. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Can you run that by me one more time? So like, so he's sitting in his office when Jimmy shows up to like make sure that he's fine, right? And he's like and living. This is where they have the conversation where he says, "You know, I never really much cared for you." Yeah, which like okay. you know, that speech is like fucking brutal, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it is devastating. Yeah, um, it, 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 I think that speech. This is also part of why I love season three so much. Like that speech is Chuck's darkest moment because it's the first time that he kind of breaks his code. And essentially lies to Jimmy for no other reason than to hurt him. Yeah. You know, because it's so obvious he cares a lot. He cares so much about Jimmy. His whole life, kind of like all of the inflection points of his life revolve around his relationship with his brother. And so, like, that he would toss all of that aside, right, just to – because he can't let it go and he can't bear to lose – and he's that spiteful and petty. It's just like, oh, dark. <laughs> like, yeah. And, you know, ultimately that's what kind of like, I guess, is supposed to be what, what like breaks him. Because then he immediately goes and he like tears all the electronics out of his house and then attempts to burn it down. With the, uh, like, which is like kind of like the longest held, you know, uh, what's the word? Chekhov's gun, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if I would have been like, you know all those lanterns are going to cause a fire at some point normally, but like they take pains to like multiple times. Yeah. It comes up in season one. It comes up in season two and you know, in season three, that's where it ends. Yeah. Uh, Uh, um, my big thing was like, he bats away the, uh, the, uh, (laughs) the electronic box, right? Like that keeps spinning, which I think was like a pretty great metaphor for like, you know, Chuck going nuts, right? Like the, the thing keeps spinning. And then he hits it like, oh, Mr. High and Mighty now tampering with uh, the electric boxes. So, yeah, so here's the question. Do, what, what causes Chuck's psychosis? Like, you're an armchair psychologist. What do you think it is? Because this is actually kind of a, a little bit of a debated point in the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul fandom. Oh, you, you mean like what causes what causes him to break at the end of season three or what causes no, him no, to No, like have... in general. Like what is the source of this like weird – electromagnetic sensitivity psychosis thing that he has and develops um i mean i i think the like 
the by the easy... way if i'm putting you on the spot i i have an answer and i can talk about this if sure sure no i mean like the the answer that that seems that that like gets said in the show is like it's it's his stress about jimmy in particular but that doesn't seem to like fully track to me yeah um, I, I also don't think it is that um my thing is i think it is his own lies right i think it is it is at his he is at his worst with it right when he is in season one sort of living with the lie that Jimmy is taking care of him and he betrayed Jimmy, right? And then he starts to get better as he becomes more and as he becomes kind of like more honest with Jimmy and kind of his like loathing. But then that final lie that he tells at the end of season three where he goes, I never much cared about you. That's the thing that sends him spiraling back down because kind of for the second time, right? He has sort of like broken his honor and he is like lying to his brother who he does care a lot about. And that, and so like, that's what I think the source is like fundamentally. It's like kind of his own self-hatred and guilt at lying to Jimmy because of, you know, because of whatever reason. Right. Um, yeah. But like I said, it is very debated. Yeah. No, Not everybody sense. agrees with that read. Is, is Are there any other prominent theories? Uh, the, the, so the other one is just what they say in the show, right? Like his stress related to his stress related to Jimmy, which I don't really think is true because like he's very stressed out about Jimmy in uh, the early part of season three and, and like season two and stuff like that. Um but it's he just he seems to me he seems to be on that like upward trajectory right, um, and I don't really know how you explain that upward trajectory when like the crux of their giant sort of debate is in season in season three where Jimmy soundly thrashes Chuck. Jimmy proves himself to be better and smarter than Chuck in in that courtroom thing with the cell phone in with the cell phone battery in his pocket and Huel and all of that um and you would think that if that was the thing that like drives chuck's psychosis he wouldn't get better but he continues to improve even out of the courtroom right and he's like getting his shit together um yeah so that's why i don't really agree with that one yeah yeah no i get that yeah that makes sense um Yeah, uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, I, okay, I, I think I think I'm with you on that. Just okay. because, like, that feels good. <laughs> I, I yeah. feel validated now. <laughs> no, because like I don't know. I feel like it's it's more just like, like to me, like the, like this is kind of like it's always going to be back explaining what is I I think clearly there to just be like a a thing to show that you know hyper rational, hyper logical Chuck can't be like you know is irrational in this way right like he's provably irrational in this way and that's like the, the 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 like the point of it isn't why he has it the point of it is that he's like nuts even though he's this brilliant legal mind that cares very strongly about the law right like um and you know but i i think i think that you are correct in that like jimmy proves to him that he doesn't actually have this disease um, and it's like, you know, and that, that should cause him a lot of stress, right? Like ideally related to, and yeah. at a moment where Jimmy is causing him a lot of stress, cause Jimmy is lying and he know like Chuck and Jimmy know it, right? Like that, that Jimmy is painting things this way, um, or at least like telling half truths, right? Like Chuck is crazy, but 
you know, should be, should probably be disbarred. Right. Like, yeah. um, uh, and they're, they're, they're like, you know, fancying, faffing about the law in order to, to keep him from getting disbarred. Um, I am kind of not sure what I think about Kim's character anymore, just because, like, I had thought that her whole deal was going to be the, uh, you know, um, like, the, like, the, the, the person that, I, I guess, I guess maybe her arc is that Jimmy, Jimmy is slowly corrupting her and, like, mm-hmm. bringing her down with him because, like, you know, he gets her to defend him. Um, although, in kind of, like, you know, in, you know, what she says to Howard, that's the job, right? Like, she that that is the job of of a defense a defense lawyer is to represent the case as much as, you know as best as possible. But there's also kind of like weird conflict of interest stuff there that like feels a little bit off to me. But that's like a side point. But I think that's ultimately the like her arc maybe right like is getting dragged down with Jimmy, especially because she just like she almost killed herself like working too hard and working straight, right? Like that's. That's, like, I think supposed to be the contrast there, right? Like, Jimmy tries the right way, and when he gets rebuffed, he's like, well, then... And and gets rebuffed for, like, shitty reasons. Well, I don't need to play by the rules because everybody's a shithead, and, you know, it kind of sort of works most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, like, Kim, like, plays by the rules hard and fast. And it's not like anybody's particularly screwing her, but she's pushing herself too much and she falls asleep at the wheel. Um, Yeah, and also she can't rely on Jimmy, right? Like, all of this would hypothetically be answered if, like she and Jimmy were inside of the same practice and like he could take some of the weight off of her shoulders or whatever, but she ultimately doesn't trust him enough for that. Right. She's willing to rent the same office with him and share expenses, but she is not willing to put Wexler McGill in the same practice together. Um, which I think is like, is like very key to kind of, uh, to kind of her character. I love Kim Wexler. I think she is honestly one of the best written characters in television history maybe and she goes to really great places in season four or five i'm very excited for you to watch for wow, watch the yeah. next two seasons of uh, of better call Saul. what do you think about uh the mic stuff and the oh this okay this is the other reason why season three is so great because you get hector salamanca you know salamanca blood salamanca money <laughs> like that is i love that speech th- thing it's not even a speech it's just like him freaking out an exclamation at the end of yeah, yeah yeah that is part of how he gets memed a lot by the way when people talk about his accent people will probably more commonly the, the what people reference is that line salamanca blood salamanca money right <laughs> Yeah, the no. Hacienda, uh, I pay for that. Right? Like, <laughs> I just love Hector Salamanca so much. <sighs> yeah, no. So, but like, so like the Mike Ermintrout stuff is like fine, right? Like it's it's intriguing, but it's not particularly like intricate. I guess is the way, right? Like Mike is always clever, right? But like, you know. Nacho needs to betray Hector, and he does, right? Like, it just kind of... I, yeah, goes. I actually love the Nacho stuff in this season with the pills or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was some of the... That, I think that's kind of almost where Nacho's character kind of, like, really comes alive. Like, you, he's pretty... He's pretty... I don't know. The, the, because these shows tend to focus on, like, 
clever people being clever. You sort of have a break between the clever people and like the the sort of supporting non-clever people. Like Howard, I agree with I like Howard a lot too, but like Howard is not a clever person, right? At the end of the day, he's kind of functionally a tool in the war between two clever people, Jimmy and Chuck, right? Yeah, it's not even like like and that's Howard, why he's sh- sorry. You go first. How like Howard kicking Chuck out of the practice is like great and everything, but he's kind of dancing to Jimmy's strings because Jimmy is the one who like gets Chuck's insurance revoked or whatever, and kind of like forces Howard's hand in that way by like really attacking HHM's kind of wallet. Um, and I think that that's great. And for a long time, Nacho was in that category, and in season three, he bumps up to clever people being clever category. Yeah, and just to kind of put that, I think that's why Howard shines in the moments where he does things like throw Chuck out of the practice. Because even though he is kind of like, like, Chuck was always this liability, right? And like, Jimmy might have pushed it to the forefront, but this is Howard, like, take, like, having his clever moment, right? Like, yeah. and, you know, uh, you know, he, you know, he walks Chuck out and like, does this announcement in front of the firm that Chuck can't go back on. And he's kind of like, we wish you well, Chuck. And like out the door he goes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I actually, so I do want to take that back. That is a pretty clever moment. Uh, like, it's not like he, he forces the issue privately, but the way that he plays it publicly, I think is pretty perfect. There's a lot of little stuff like that, that I really appreciate in better call. Saul. like, I remember I was having a conversation with somebody about season three, where they talk about how Rebecca shows up for the courtroom scene and how it kind of felt like an unfired Chekhov's gun. Um, which is the, you know, like they kind of set up that she's coming and then she does come but, like, her presence isn't explosive narratively, even though it's, like, a very dramatic piece of the story. But my thing with that is that it's a small incremental decision that contributes to sort of Chuck's ultimate breakdown on the witness stand, which is the thing that Jimmy needs, right? It's, it, is the, it is the designed end goal of the hearing between Jimmy, or between Jimmy and, and Kim, who think up this plan, right? that they will end up in this particular situation. And you need Rebecca there as kind of a supporting impetus of pressure more than as, like, the explosive moment of drama in and of itself, right? And I think that is also true of kind of, like, Howard... Of that moment with kind of, like, Howard. Because it isn't just Jimmy does the does the insurance... That's part of it, and it's kind of the inciting part of it in the same way the cell phone battery is, like, the inciting part of it. But it is also – Chuck has been mistreating Howard and his employees in the firm. He has been jeopardizing the firm's reputation with his vendetta against Jimmy. He assures Howard that he's not going to lose, and then he does. And it's kind of like all of those pieces contribute together. So it is is more of Howard's moment that I'm giving him credit for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, no, it, it's funny because uh, Chuck's just you, – you kind of reminded me. Chuck's breakdown on the stand is, like, the spiritual equivalent of, like, you can't handle the truth oh, from yeah. – uh, yeah. uh, although slightly more legal basis for that happening than uh, – <laughs> than- Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point most people – like, you know, the Better Call Saul obviously got, like, an A-plus or whatever from Legal Legal – um, and, uh, and I think it would still also get like good, like it, like this would also fly in a way that, I mean, he, he talked about like the, you can't handle the truth scene. It makes for great cinema, but it's complete bupkis, you know, legally. 
Um, and so uh, I think I think it like works here, which is which is like good, which is nice. Like the whole thing with like the PPP or whatever they called it. Um, the uh, the way that like you know Chuck is not trying to destroy Jimmy's life in his eyes. He thinks he is you know kind of like being empathetic to Jimmy's needs or whatever. Um, but uh, but just but yeah. the truth of the matter is that I don't know. Oh God, show so good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what's your week been like then? Oh yeah, my week. What else have I been doing? I've been playing a lot of World of Warcraft. I've been watching a lot of American Dad because I don't really know why. American Dad is like a really good comfort show uh, for for me. Like I find it ridiculously funny, um, but it's like pretty you know it's not particularly like deep or insightful it's just like it's a show that loathes all of its characters and it's basically just a ton of slapstick uh surrounding those characters with like just the right amount of kind of like clever narrative absurdity that makes it like great and funny and i don't really and so that's mostly what i've that's mostly what i've been up to uh you played uh you played a big game with people right like you played crusader kings or stellarius Oh, we played Crusader Kings this weekend. Okay, very cool. Uh, yeah, uh, we were playing Byzantines, and that's all. Fun. Like, I love Crusader Kings just because, like, it's so infinitely replayable because the game will just like fuck you out of nowhere with like random chance stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, where like with like Civ or whatever, right? Like the things that make it like you know winnable are the things that like make it like boring after a little while. Uh, fucking. Um, uh, Crusader Kings is always just kind of like, well, who knows what the fuck's going to happen next, right? Like, I died, like, four times within half an hour. Like, I went through, like, you know, like, my, my ruler and, like, three of my siblings, um, which worked out because uh, the Byzantine Empire is agnetic, cognetic, so I could play as my sisters, um, uh, uh, which was just, like, kind of, like, a super harrowing. But, you know, I survived it. Um, and I think that's just, like, super, super fun. And the, the other thing that's great about it is, like, we took a break for dinner in the middle, and uh, Nick actually managed to to lose out just because, like, you know, like he died old, and his grandson died like as he was coming of age, um, and so like you know his dynasty ended, um, and so he had to pick somebody else, and he just like jumped in as like a different subject of the Byzantine Empire. So did Josh. Um, Nick played a Merchant Republic, and like it was having a ton of fun with that. Josh played somebody else, and like. That's good because, like, if you screw up your run and you're a new player, you can just, like, throw them into something new. We introduced both Josh and Junki to the game. Um, Here I also want to register my my deep appreciation for Paradox letting uh, anybody, like, you know, only the host has to have the DLC stuff. Uh, Yeah, it's it's an excellent game. The other big thing I played this week is uh, Chimera Squad, um, which is the new XCOM thing. Have you played this at all? I have not. I bought it, but I have not touched it. Yeah, because uh, uh, ironically, I just replayed X, XCOM two. I mean, way before, we didn't even know Chimera Squad was coming out. Um, but uh, I just like re- did a full run of XCOM two, and then they announced Chimera Squad. And I was like, oh wow, okay. So yeah, Chimera Squad's neat. Um, I think it's got some cool stuff that I th- hope makes it into the mainline XCOM series. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Chimera Squad as I am of the mainline series, and part of it part of this is like you know. One of the selling points is that you've got these defined characters that have like a little bit more story to them, and I hate that, right? Like, yeah, I yeah. want, I want my naked characters that I can like form and like write my own stories about, rather than uh, these kind of defined characters that just kind of like derp around. Um, but it's not bad. Um, it's a little bit buggy, um, but it's not terrible, and it's like, like some of the like the systems are neat, but 
Um, I don't think it's at, like so. This is this is a weird problem with it, uh, in that, um, uh, in that like the default options has you like healing half after each encounter, which is like a submission almost, and like that might be a little bit too lenient, but that's the default. So, um, it's hard to have kind of like a like I think it needs like a better defined. This is how you're expected to play option. Um, rather than like a, like like because otherwise it's 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 a little bit too customizable if that makes sense right like those are fun for like setting up specific challenges but when I want like what the core experience is supposed to be I don't want to have to like think too much about it if that makes sense that's interesting I actually have always thought that XCOM could deal with a little bit more narrow like narratization. Um, <clears throat> but I think I what I want to see is something like kind of like in the same way that you have the um, like the the nemesis system in uh shadow of war i i want to see something more like that right i'd like to see my characters right like have personalities that are it's kind of like random in a way but like real and then they like grow over like grow over time i think would be really neat like i like the idea of you have like six or seven kind of like base personalities but they can like morph in between one another like you could have a jokester guy but then something happens in a mission right like his bond mate dies and all of a sudden now he is like a serious edgy guy or whatever i think that is kind of the the real sweet spot for XCOM narratization with the characters that i would like to see i don't like the idea of what they've done i guess really in comparison i I agree with you especially because like you know, like, the permadeath is part of it. I, I have complicated thoughts about permadeath in XCOM 2. I think something that happens in XCOM 2 that has killed a couple of my Iron Man runs is you you get in this situation where you have just, like, your best squad and people just get destroyed and they immediately die and the whole mission goes to shit. Um, and in those situations, you're kind of, like, supposed to, like, retreat or whatever and, like, that's fine. Um, but it can be just, like, insanely punishing losing three or four guys in a, in like a, you know, in a run. Um, and I want to see more from XCOM to kind of like help even that sort of thing out. Um, sure. 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 Because no, like, I, I think I the that. best moments in XCOM story, like kind of emergent storytelling wise are like, I've done this before where I've gone on missions. I did this with a sniper once where you make a concerted, you, you, you make a choice where you're just like, I'm so sorry but you're you're being left behind. Um like I was in a mission once where one of my guys died which sucked, but like we had got the objective which was like a person, uh like you had to like rescue a person. And I had my sniper in a really good spot on a building and I kind of was in this point of like, oh god, we're getting overrun and I can't kill all these guys. I can get my squad to the evac point. But my sniper is sort of like two turns behind everyone else. And I made the choice in that moment to sort of say, you know what? He's going to stay on that rooftop and he's going to cover his team and they are all going to evac and he's not making it out of here. And that was really like awesome and like impactful. And I wish I could see more of that kind of a thing um, in uh, in in the way that like permadeath works in like XCOM, right? Uh, though they actually added something like that with the Chosen because like if you can get your guys captured – and like you go rescue them. I would love to see that sort of thing. I guess is really what I'm getting at. Yeah. No. No. That's uh, that's cool. Uh. Yeah. No. I. I think I agree with you that I want like like 
like I said, I could see some some things from Chimera Squad being imported back in. I think you're right. I think like giving a little bit more narrative guidance to the uh, to XCOM two and like making it so that like it's not so you're not like dead. Like I, I always felt like early on in XCOM two runs that like if I lost, like if if I lost a mission like that the run was essentially over because it was just like too punishing to try and train up another set of rookies or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, um, my most recent run, the thing that was happening, which was weirdly I was able to compensate for, it, is it was one class that was kept dying. My specialist kept dying, which is like the healer class. And I was really afraid because I was like – because what happened is I had two specialists and I was bringing them both up and they both died back-to-back in back-to-back missions. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. I don't have other specialists. They're like rookies or like squatties or whatever. Um, but it turns out that – you can actually kind of carry, like, as long as you have a couple of high-level guys, you can actually kind of carry a low-level dude through it without too much trouble, which ended up being kind of, like, the right way of... I actually lost way more specialists over the course of the run. For some reason, they just kept fucking dying. Um, but, like, because it was just that one class, I was not having as much trouble as in my other Iron Man runs, where I would lose, like, my top grenadier, my top ranger, my top sniper, all in, like, one or two missions or whatever. And when you lose your best three across a variety of classes, that tends to really fuck you over, it, I, it feels like. Because uh, I just, I feel like the other, cl- like, you can pick up the slack when it's just, like, one or two and it's right. localized. It's harder to pick up that slack otherwise. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to, to talk about before we sign this off? Uh, I guess I will promote uh, Relic Hunter Zero Remix. is coming to the Switch in just a couple of days on May 7th. If you buy before May 11th, uh, you will be able to get uh, a pre-order discount for 10 bucks. It is normally 13 uh, so I would highly recommend because it's super fun and people are people are loving. It. Actually, if you want to get if you want, okay, so this is here here's the secret of tech. If you want a chance at getting uh, the game for free, we are doing a giveaway right now. You can find the details at twitch or twitter dot com slash aquapara games. Uh, we're doing a giveaway. There's like a little paper doll. You print it out. You fold it together. And then you take a picture with that doll doing something cool or interesting, and we're going to be giving away switch keys to our favorite entrance. So there's a sneaky, there's a sneaky way to get a cool game on Switch. Who's who's uh, judging who's is the coolest? Me, me personally. Ooh. You are appealing to my direct sensibilities. So if you put the papercraft Just- Jimmy doll with like Batman vs Superman on one side and like Seven Samurai on the other, listen. Just I'm not going to guarantee that doll will win, but it's a good shot. Just like, just write release a Snyder cut on Jimmy's t-shirt. And, yeah, you know, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. That would be a... Uh, Apparently boy, that, that showed up in, in the Harley Quinn cartoon. There was like a character that oh was god, wearing a so release. Funny. Yeah, yeah. They, uh... In the Harley Quinn cartoon, apparently they did, like, a really serious episode about Batman, but, like, the joke was that the the Harley Quinn cartoon is like funny and um and there was a guy with the with like a release the Snyder cut shirt being like god i hate this show i just want it to be about batman who's so cool or whatever honestly it was very funny i feel like people can't take a joke uh, cuz i saw a lot of like release the Snyder cut people being like uh actually this is a serious movement you guys I'm like calm down <laughs> listen listen boys <laughs> Oh god, I love how much like release the Snyder kind of just like penetrated into like I see like 
political people I follow on Twitter, like talking about the Snyder Cut. I'm like, what the hell has happened? I have a what whole. I have a really like deep. Th- I think there is. <laughs> well, we we could talk about this. I, I guess at some other time. We don't have to do this at you know minute th- thirty six or ninety six on our podcast. I guess. Remind me next week, and we'll talk about my my complex theory surrounding the release of the Snyder Cut stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's just like watching nerd culture penetrate the the greater the kind of greater consciousness is kind of interesting. Like um, Justin Amash, who is running for the who is trying to capture the Libertarian nomination, his like announcement tweet like new candidate approaching in the smash Brothers style i'm like what the fuck right like what is happening but uh i you know it's it's i'm just gonna leave it at that uh if you want to reach out to us and tell us what you think about the mandalorian or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast you use that podcast at some derps play games.com or some derps play games at gmail.com uh you can follow us on twitch.tv slash some play games you can you should rate and review us on soundcloud and itunes wherever you listen to us um uh, you can support us on Patreon if you feel like it. That's everything I have. Buddy, do you have anything else you're looking to promote? Uh, I've done my, my promotion, I guess, for the week, so I'm not looking to promote anything else. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.